From a school for budding shearers in Western Queensland to reaching Chinese consumers from downtown Shanghai, this episode of The Yarn covers both ends of the great Australian wool industry. Welcome to The Yarn, a podcast for the Australian wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. And soon we head to China and hear from Walmart country manager Jeff Ma about how the economic dragon is back on its feet and in turn demand is predicted to reappear for wool from this, our most significant market. But before the best wool in the world gets there, it has to be grown and harvested by the best wool growers and the best shearers in the world. AWI's Henry Ridge recently headed to Goulma Station, 60 kilometres west of Winton in Queensland, where 15 budding shearers were eager to learn and take up positions with local contractors. So these schools run in sheds across the country, and this one, with the help and support of Queensland Agriculture, AWI's grower network in Queensland leading sheep, Winton Council, and of course the station owners themselves, who we'll hear from in a minute. But the man who ran the school had a chat to Henry Ridge, and Bruce Lyons was very happy with the attitude of his students. We started basically thinking that um, you know, it's an introduction to the wool harvesting industry and we didn't know what kind of kids we were going to get, or trainees. You know, they're not just kids, they're young adults. And um, look, they've started off right from the word go just keen as, you know, they were hanging on our words, they were like sponges. They, you know, I got questions thrown at me at the first and second day that I thought they were more advanced wool, you know, people. Um, and the wool side of it, I've got some, so many questions about micron and CVs and, and wool weights and what's the best sheep to have and, and things like that before we even shore a sheep, you know, <laughs> and even before we picked up a fleece, Henry, you know. So it was, it was quite new for me to have um, trainees um, come at me like that and a lot of the trainees, you know, in the past, you know, we'd had to try and encourage them to, to, to take the belly wool off or even pick up a fleece or even put a broom in their hand, you know, but this group of kids we've had, you know, we had 14 for a start and I think we had a young fellow at the end, 15 at the end, um, but look, terrific kids, they all work together as a team and we broke them up into three groups and um, I think that was the best way in the groups of five um, and they kind of bounced off each other as teams, so um, it, it created that atmosphere like a shearing team and each one you could see him looking at the other guys and seeing how advanced they were and how well they picked up the fleeces and, and that type of thing. It made my job a lot easier and the other boys' trainers' lot, jobs a lot easier with staff that want to learn. It's not just that, you, you know, you, you did the grinding, they now know how to do their combs and cutters and uh, other things throughout the wool shed, the etiquette, so to speak, but yep. um, also had a bit of fun along the way, a good uh, activity to start the day, which... Uh, well, you might have to describe and do a better job, but there's uh, basically like musical chairs nearly with sheep. Yeah, look, we um, the first couple of days, everyone was so keen, and, and a lot of harvesters, you know, shearers in the industry and wool growers would, would probably uh, take take note of this because they're so keen to learn to shear a sheep, but, you know, technically you have to learn about getting the, the handpiece down on the, on the skin and moving your feet and the blow pattern and, you know, moving around the sheep, like dancing around the sheep. A lot of... I'll shearers say it's like waltzing around the sheep, but look, for the kids, what we did was a, a nifty little game um, where each position on the sheep is, is called something, like the belly, the undermine, the long blow, up the neck, down the last side, you know, we even threw some little, you know, words in like the money side and the whipping side, which is, you know, used a fair bit and, and that type of thing, but the kids 
after the week actually worked out what we were talking about. So that's more or less like shearer talk that we do out in the industry and, and they cottoned on to us three trainers like anything. I said, we know what you're talking about. So when we threw a curly one in like down the money side or something like that. So what we did, we we broke the teams into three. Uh, we got the five kids out on the floor with uh, a sheep each. Um, they they st- sat on there uh, with their feet down. So we called out a blow or, a, or an area of the sheep and they had to move that sheep to that area of the sheep. And the last one to get into that position was dropped out. So we got two out of each group and then we had a final of six or five to six at the end and the best one, one in the afternoon. Like, it was, it's tremendous to see the kids move from their positions and when they were shearing a sheep, it actually makes them aware of where am I, you know? Am I in the long blow or the belly or, or you know, the, the whipping side or up the neck and that type of thing? And it, just the morale in the in the team was terrific, Henry, to see the yeah. kids egg on the other oh, kids. Yeah. Oh, mate, you're out of position still, <laughs> you know? And that makes you personally aware of, right, oh, I know that position. You know, because they're out of position. So, mm. no, a, a great little game and fun was had by all, yeah. No, definitely. And they definitely fed off each other when I arrived uh, um, yesterday, Thursday afternoon. You know, they've been going for a while, so getting quite into it and watching each other, as you say. But there wasn't one person that wasn't interested in what was happening on the board. That As soon as I walked in the shed, that's what I noticed. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, from people standing along the board and in the pens or, or at the wool table, wherever it was... It, was dead keen. No yeah. one, everyone was there for the right reasons. Exactly. And look, Henry, I, I think the um, the other side of it too, and you know, for us three trainers, and it's been a while since I've trained, but you know, I had a bit of a concept. And Javan and Andy, Javan's one of our new trainers, a terrific shearer. Look, he's 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 regarded really well in Queensland. He's a, an expat Kiwi. I think he's still in New Zealand. Sorry, and shears like a power, a sheep. And young Andrew Ross is is a terrific young trainer too. They're coming along. They've got a big future ahead of them. Really good good young fellows but look you know we don't want the kids going home not learning anything so my emphasis was on wool a fair bit so I really wanted even though it was an awareness wool harvesting week you know just the mm. introduction to wool harvesting yeah you know, I went through making sure they knew the shanks and the locks and the stain and why we take that out of there and then getting the fleece flat on the table you know there's an emphasis on that so it's a teamwork and and the boys emphasize why to push the back hind leg back for the wool handlers to pick up and and the locks and we, we spoke about the you know the loss of income to wool growers with locks you know just basic stuff but the kids were like sponges. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Once you know why uh, things are done how they are, it makes it a lot easier to execute yeah, on it. Exactly. That's for sure. Now, Bruce, uh, just to finish up, uh, I'll ask Shane what, what the future of the Queensland industry looks like and then industry as a whole looking forward. Uh, how are we looking? Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough gig, Henry. I've, um, you know, 17 professionally in the industry, uh, was, you know, well, 18 as a wool classer and I'm still going at 49. And look, you... Um, you go, is there ups and downs, and, and, I, and I travel all over Australia still, you know, with things, and look, it's, it's a hard one. In, the Queensland industry is really, really at the mercy of our seasons and wild dogs, and, you know, so many fences are going up, and, and the reduction of wild dog losses to, to sheep and lambs and that type of thing is a benefit, but look, we still need to inspire young wool growers, and we still need to put merinos back on the map to say, look, 
you know, this is a, a, an animal that we can still make money out. It's a viable business in agriculture. You know, we don't have to jump in the tractor. We don't have to have cattle and, and all those types of things. It's a dual income. Um, there's so many ticks, I believe. And it's not just because I'm in the industry. You, just, you can just go out and have a look at the farms and look at the towns. You know, I, you know, I beat on about Marino's Bill communities and, and things like that. But it's a good little catchphrase and, you know, the councils and... Everyone can see, well, this creates employment, Henry. So I think Queensland's got a big future still. Awesome. Completely agree. <laughs> well, let's hope for a big summer. And Bruce, thanks for joining the arm. Thanks, mate. Good Cheers. on you. Sure, trainer Bruce Lyons there. And that school took place on Goulma Station, owned by Jody and Shane Axford. And Shane told Henry Ridge of just how good it is to see the students developing through the week. Today we saw young people go away that couldn't shear a sheep at the start of the week. There's probably only three or four out of that 14 that might go into the shearing sheds, but the rest will go home and be able to shear a sheep and understand it a lot more and have the opportunity to use that in future. Like you never know when you could use those skills. Um, but it's just, it's just getting a bit more faith and a bit more um, emphasis on the fact that you know, these skills are available if, if you want to come and learn. They range from 17 to you know mid-20s in age and um, a lot of them didn't know each other before the week but now they've got a bit of a network of you know people they're going to be calling on most likely for a, a catch-up in the wool industry and I guess uh, that's another added benefit through it all is that side of it, the socialising. Yeah, and I think like it does help bridge the gap as well. Like you know, There's a lot of owners, sons and, and daughters there this week and it bridges that gap between the sheds and, and the owners, and, and that's something that I, I feel that it's not that bad anymore, but it, it is, it's still a border between, between the sheds and the people in the sheds and the, and the owners. And I think being owners that can shear sheep um, and handle wool, it just gives them a better appreciation for the job that's getting done in the sheds. And it also it, it helps them understand what needs to be done with their wool in the shed to prepare it properly. And they can actually go in and ask for that to be done and have a knowledge of what it, yeah. it means to ask for that to be done. Yeah, to be able to have that communication piece because yeah. you know what the expectations are between the different parties yeah. that go through a shed. Uh, and just to, just to finish up, Shane, a bit on how you feel for the future of the industry in Western Queensland and maybe wider as a whole. Um, wider as a whole, I think if we can, I think the the message just needs to be how how much good wool Australia does grow and get it out there, and, and it's and I think the the message needs to be more sent that how much wool is actually being used and where it actually already is being used in Australia and the army, then the Qantas uniforms and the sports wool and all that. Just get that message out there. I really like the idea of our story getting put into the barcodes um, or QR codes. The, the whole provenance that comes with that. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that, that people can actually scan that with their phones because people like doing that sort of stuff these days and, and seeing where their actual wool comes from. I think in our local area, um, the people that are here now will continue to keep sheep and possibly get more numbers, especially if the fencing comes in. Um, I think that's going to be a win-win for everyone. But overall, yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard one. Um, I, I see a lot of fencing going up now. Where in roads where I've driven, you know, towards Brisbane, say you drive down there now, there's heaps of fencing. I know there's a fair few goats, but in the same token, there's a lot of people going back into sheep. So, let's hope it can it can improve. Yeah, definitely. And uh, summer coming up, so 
fingers crossed for a big season uh, ahead of us. But um, I think finally just to thank you to you and your wife Jody for having us. These these weeks don't happen without uh, a shearing shed and sheep put in front of us. So um, many thanks to you and your family. Yeah, and thanks to AWR as well. Like these things don't happen without funding. Um, you know, when the three instructors that were here were passionate about it and, and enjoyed their week. And with, with AWR as well as the Wintonshire Council, um, I think, and, and facilitated by DAF, it was a good arrangement, and I hope that we can do it in the future. Thanks, Shane. Cheers. No worries. Thanks, Henry. Shane Axford there, and thank you to Henry Ridge for those interviews from on the road in Western Queensland. And you can see some really lovely photographs of the school on the Australia Wool Innovation Facebook page. But um, speaking of shearing, uh, it has to be mentioned here, our own Ellie Bigwood attended the Wellstead Shearing School recently in WA and became quite the social media sensation by having a go herself. Well done, Ellie, for taking up the shears. But let's head to our biggest market for wool, this wool that's been harvested so well. Of course, it's China. And Jeff Ma is the Woolmark Country Manager for China and heads up much of the marketing for that region. It's been a very busy few weeks for Jeff with a new direct-to-consumer campaign launched through the Chinese online retailer Alibaba involving hundreds of brands all selling wool in a dedicated wool pavilion on what is the leading online selling platform in China. But various trade shows and events have also taken place in China recently and the world's second largest economy actually returned to growth in the second quarter of this year. And Jeff Ma says this is being reflected in yarn production by Chinese mills. The good news is the overall yarn production um, is in the process of recovering. Back in June, uh, the monthly production of yarn increased by 21% compared with that in May. And the production of wool fabrics is also starting to recover. After a very tough time in uh, March and April, I would say. Uh, so in May and June, the production of wool fabric increased by 15% and 1.8% month on month, respectively. So I think uh, the sentiment uh, rebounds uh, across the board. And uh, at this moment, um, we've been talking to a lot of textile mills as well as retail brands in the past months. I think their main focus is really to drive the domestic market demand or so-called internal demand um, and also uh, capitalizing on the digital economy, which saw a big boost during the pandemic. So for, for the textile mills and fashion brands in China, it's really how to service the digital savvy customers with high quality, good value, and a quick turnaround. It's interesting you say that. I mean, that echoes a little bit of what Michelle Lee had to say from the United States about uh, digital savvy businesses doing quite well through the pandemic. But those figures that you quoted there, yeah. Jeff, um, 15% lift in, in fabric and 21% lift in yarn for June, That's they are quite extraordinary yeah. figures. And those figures must be driven by internal demand because they surely didn't come from the rest of the world. So did the Chinese central government stimulate the textile economy through the pandemic at all or with new uniform orders or has this all been sort of organic internal demand? 
Well, the pandemic disrupted the supply chain a little bit, as I said, in Q1 and early of Q2. But what we heard from some major players, for example, Yang Guang Sunshine Group, as well as peoples in Nanshan and Luyi, actually these you know, B2B orders from the government, from the army, from uh, you know, rail, as well as from the post office, uh, quite stable. Um, you know, they change uniform every two years or every three years. So uh, this was, you know, untouched during the pandemic. And uh, these enterprises are working really hard to, um, you know, not only drive the B2B business, but, you know, uh, putting more efforts to work with the, you know, fashion brands, independent labels and the internet base new brands to drive the consumer demand. From what you're saying, the and you've spoken clearly to quite a few significant processes there in China, are they uh, feeling comfortable with the economic recovery or are they building stocks in anticipation of a stronger recovery uh, for export markets? Yeah, I think you are right. They are building stocks for the uh, fully recovery from the key export destinations. Uh, but when you look at the domestic market, the consumer sentiment rebounds quite quickly. A new survey suggested that 80% of Chinese citizens are very positive about their income growth in the future, which means they're quite confident about the do- domestic economy recoveries. And I think the swift rebound of the uh, consumer confidence was partially because of China's effectively uh, getting the coronavirus outbreak under under control. And when you look at the uh, apparel market um, and consumers show strong purchase intention of the apparels after the uh, COVID outbreak, um, I can give you a couple of um, facts over here. one of the highest growth market is sportswear. The sportswear sees some really, you know, um, big, you know, consumption demand um, because of the increased health consciousness and the consumers' participation in sports activities post the uh, pandemic. So the apparel market is taking a V-shaped recovery, I would say, and we will expect to see some. Uh, short-term growth in the coming months. If you've had a very busy few weeks with trade shows and meetings in China, um, you're in a a good position to talk about uh, what's happening in the wool trade. Right. The past month in uh, September was a very, very busy month for AWI China teams. Uh, The autumn winter sessions of Spin Expo and the Intertextile are back in Shanghai. It took place in... um, September, and uh, we've received the um, uh, data from uh, the two organizers, and there are over 180 companies participated in Spin Expo, and there are more than 2,700 companies exhibited in uh, Intertextile, which means the trade shows are not that greatly affected uh, post-COVID in terms of the scale and uh, quality, and uh, as we saw, the sustainability, the eco-credentials, and the recycling are the main themes for many exhibitors in this show. 
so things are really getting back to normal. So that that's quite interesting. So the news, just to recap from that, um, that you spoke to uh, a lot of exhibitors and uh, retailers and also traders, uh, I presume fabric sources as well. Yeah. Demand is, is still strong? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the demand from uh, the domestic market is definitely very strong. But I think the key challenge for many wool textile companies is when and how the uh, export market will, you know, recover. You mentioned that Chinese consumers, particularly younger consumers, are uh, very interested in wanting to buy woolen products that are sustainable and have uh, that message of recycling. What does that mean for the consumer and and as an industry, what do we need to deliver to make sure we're meeting that expectations or, in, f- in fact, exceeding it? I think sustainability is a core theme. Um, I think the young Chinese consumer becomes more cautious and uh, more health-oriented uh, when they purchase uh, apparel. Um, they will definitely ask, um, what is it made? How is the, you know, how is it made? What are the raw materials uh, sourcing from? Where are they sourcing from? And how much impact that will make on the planet? So the young Chinese consumers are definitely more health and uh, environmental conscious about their purchase. And uh, I see this is really a wide space for Australian Merino to occupy it and to play us as a higher ground in the sustainable fashion um, territory and to keep conveying the message of, you know, Marino wool being natural, renewable and biodegradable to uh, Chinese consumers and giving them more reasons to choose Marino. Yes, that does sound like a great uh, opportunity for uh, Australian wool growers. Um, do you see potentially the role of Wool Q being that digital platform that allows wool growers to to put uh, their story forward and to build uh, a profile of what they stand for and where their wool comes from and how they manage their property do you see that as an opportunity for for the industry to gain better better connection through to the retail consumer via those stories Definitely. We uh, have spoken to a lot of trade partners and top makers. I think they all welcome the new idea of WooQ as a digital platform for trading at this stage. And uh, further down the road, I think it's also a great platform to educate the supply chain as well as the consumers about all the great benefits, the beauty and the versatility and, you know, its sustainability and traceability of Marino Wu to the end users. So it's a very good platform. And as you know, um, digital retail, online retail is already accounting for 25% of the total retail sales in China. I see that will be develop even faster post-pandemic, uh, I think um, that will further grow to maybe 40 to 50% within uh, three, five years. So I think the local trade circles and uh, supply chain partners are really you know, excited to see uh, WooQ happening uh, for our industry in China. 
Jeff, I have to say that the news coming out of China is a lot more optimistic than I was expecting, and I dare say a lot more optimistic than a lot of wool growers and industry partners were thinking of. This optimism, is it something that you're uh, talking about in the short and medium term? Well, um, based on all the facts, all the data, um, you know, on economy and also on the retail exports, I think uh, we are indeed very optimistic about the market going forward. Um, and uh, I think there's always an opportunity in the crisis and the Chinese people are you know, very optimistic and working very hard. And uh, I think it's really about how quick and how agile we can adapt to the new change and uh, putting in place the you know the best strategies and approach on the you know trade level, on the R and D level as well as on the retail marketing level, to uh, accommodate the new demands and new needs of the Chinese consumers. Well, Jeff, you've painted a, a very rosy picture, um, but also hopefully a realistic picture for us on the yarn today. Um, thank you for your diligent work over there and your teams, of course, in both Shanghai and Beijing. It's such an important role you play for this industry that we all love. Thank you very much for having a yarn with us today. Thanks, Morris. Thanks for having me here. Jeff Ma there, Woolmark Country Manager in China, and it is clear just how interdependent Chinese wool processors and Australian wool growers are, not to mention, of course, the Chinese consumers that ultimately create a lot of the demand. So there you go. We have taken you from a wool shed in western Queensland to downtown Shanghai, a city with a population equivalent to that of the Australian population. So thanks for listening to this edition of The Yarn. From me, Marius Cumming, thanks for your company, and we look forward to catching you again next time.